Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. And Vanessa's iPhone. See, now they're both here. So now I actually know. Mute them upon entry. That all works. All right. Welcome. Welcome. Come on in, everybody. Oop, gravity. Hope everybody had an amazing and amazing weekend, no matter where you are, whether you're listening live or on one of the archive feeds. I'm Tom Miller, and this is our fourth and final session, part four of No Fail Communication. And I don't know about you, but this, um, I have really had my awareness raised at a high level, not just because I read the book, right, a couple of times, but teaching it and is, is you know, by far the most um, you know, important aspect, and you had some feedback there, Dr. Benton, so I just mute you. Um, when you teach it, right, so this is what I want you to do, is I want you to not only improve yourselves by, you know, reading the book, implementing some of the things that you learn, but now it's about teaching other people specifically what you've learned is going to enhance your ability to communicate, I promise you, uh, if you'll take the time. And what I mean, like teach other people, it doesn't mean correct everybody. It just means that, hey, here's something that I've learned, or hey, let's take out that clarity grid and let's walk through some of these communications that we've had, you know, out over the last three months. Let's like self-assess ourselves. Let's let's take the time to do it. And that's where I think you're going to really find. Um, great awareness uh, and just an acceleration of your ability to communicate. So I would love just to start this session by um, hearing anybody's wins for the week in terms of communication. So feel free to unmute yourself or drop it in the chat box. What's one way that you feel you won communication-wise in the past week? Tom, I meet with a group on Wednesday mornings at 8.30, and we've been talking about change, in particular change in, the, in, in churches and changing with people. And so Wednesday, I get an opportunity to teach <laughs> the opportunity on talking about change. And, and, and so I'm looking forward to that. So the, all, that, all the aspects of, of change and uh, working with people when you're doing that and, uh, you know, how, how to uh, communicate with those folks and, uh, Talk, talking about getting uh, talking about getting buy-in and 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 some of the other things that you need to do to um, bring about change in a positive way. So that's what I'm looking forward to, and I count that as a win. I love it. That's great. That's great. Anybody else?
Now, I know you have wins, so who'd like to share something? Could be, it doesn't matter how small or how big it is. I'll share one of mine real quick as I'm searching for something on my desktop. Um, we have, uh, you know, someone I'm working with, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they sometimes send emails that don't have text. And I know we talked about that in this, in this group, but I have noticed the emails that they have started to send out recently have had a lot more text uh, behind it. And I couldn't be more proud of this, you know, person to take the extra two to three minutes to put a little context around their message or little request. Uh, it goes a long way, uh, you know, with a lot of folks, and especially the more that you um, climb the, your, your career and calling ladder, uh, you're going to be evaluated uh, by your communication all the time. And non-communication is still communication. So just be very conscious of what you put out there in print uh, is there for other people to see and judge uh, you by, and uh, and uh, they will. So um, I really like you know what this uh, person's you know working towards, and and I'm super proud of them. I don't know if I uh, probably didn't give it in the best you know the feedback in the best context. I tried a couple times. Um, but so that's what I'll work on is, you know, how could I have communicated it better? Uh, so they may not have felt so, um, like offended maybe at first, but it definitely, uh, raised their awareness and they're, and they're operating differently now. Anybody have something similar or just, you know, something they've noticed about their own communication changing? Anybody paying more attention to how you're communicating the words? Um, I think that I've been trying to pay more attention um, for sure. I can't think of a win right now, but that's probably because there was so much communication. Um, but I'm definitely trying to pay more attention and be more intentional about making sure that I um, anticipate all the questions so that when I make, when I do communicate something, I've thought of those questions, what might come back, and I make sure I include that in the original communication to try to minimize some of the back and forth. I like that, Stephanie. So how, so how are you working towards anticipating the communication or the questions? What are some things um, you're doing? So I've been trying to, when I'm going to send out something that a lot of people will receive, I will write it up and then before I send it, think about it for a little bit, as if it doesn't have to go out that moment, and come back to it and say, okay, if I was just getting this, did I cover everything that um, somebody might ask me? What have I not thought about yet? So just trying to take a little bit more time before I send something in. That's awesome. Yeah, gosh, there's so many times I wish I had would not have just like been so, you know, fast to reply. You know, I would have put a little bit more context, a little bit more detail. That's great. Well, good for you. Did it hurt you at all? Are you in pain from doing it? Yeah. <laughs> or was it, was it painless? No, yeah. I think on the other end, like you, that just reminded me, um, sometimes I'll reply too quickly. And so, mm. because I'm running around campus all day and sometimes I get notifications on my phone, on my watch, and I'm not sitting down and I'll try to read it really quickly and give someone a reply because I think they need that reply right away. And then I come back later and I'm like, oh, that's not even what they were asking me, but I was reading it so quickly, mm. I wanted to give them a reply, 
So again, trying to do better about taking my time and making sure I'm understanding what is being asked before I reply. Yeah, I love that. And I'll also share this. This is not just for you. This is all of us need to take awareness of this. Um, when we are quick to reply, we are basically, we are basically um, saying out loud that everybody else's communication to us is more important than whatever we're working on at this moment, <laughs> right? And we're, and we're teaching people that, um, we're teaching people that I will reply 24 hours a day, no matter what. And going back to that, I think it was last week, like go back in my notes, right? He said, um, he said at first it's nice, but then it just turns to exhaustion or something, right? What was that? Uh, at first it's, it's, at first, it's nice to be wanted, then it's nice to feel important, but then finally, it's just exhausting <laughs> to try to keep up. Because I'll have lots of people say, what's the story? You haven't, you haven't replied to my email or, you know, and I used to tell everybody 24 hours or I was in a ditch. And someone called me out on it. And I just, just realized, like, you know, that's, that's not what I want to do anyway, because that means I just put that, you know, person's email or message in front of my family and anything else. So just be conscious of that as you go through it. Nobody's, nobody's going to lie on their deathbed wishing that they had answered more emails. That's for darn sure. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Yeah. But thanks. Thanks for sharing that and being, being open. So I want to, um, why is this upside down? Okay. Hopefully this is showing up nice. So some of you have taken our disc personality profile, and it was interesting as I was you know, preparing for this you know, session when they talked about um, you know, the usual offenders and the one-way co communicators. And so this probably isn't going to show up perfect, but in a disc profile, um, you know, there's four types of personality styles that we all have at all times. And so there's the dominant style, you know, the Ds, um, they're very confident. They make decisions, you know, quickly. So in our DISC uh, profile, if you've taken one, it tells you how to communicate with each, right? So if I'm talking to a D style, if I know that they're a D style, you know, I'm going to be very direct and brief. I'm going to stay in the big uh, picture. I'm not going to share all the details, right? I'm just going to tell them exactly what I did, when it's going to be done, and how they'll know it's by, right? And so as I was reading, you know, through this and uh, Michael Hyatt, you know, talking about the um, the talkative folks, right, or the one-way communication. You know, sometimes um, our I styles, those are those are our influencers, and our S styles, our uh, supportive styles, uh, are more social, right? They're social first, and so D styles and C styles that are very task-oriented, and the C is uh, uh, compliant. They're task first, right? So they're all about um, real data and facts. And I styles and S styles are social human beings. They're people-oriented people, not task-oriented people. So one thing that you have to be conscious of when he was, you know, kind of going through this one-way communication, that sometimes this is what someone's personality is. And when we cut them off, that creates a bigger, you know, uh, fracture in the relationship. And so my wife is an S style. She's a supportive style. 
And so I've had to learn that she will talk, um, she will tell me a lot of details for something that just needs maybe a one-liner in my opinion. But it's important that we get to know the communication styles of the people around us and remember that communication is a two-way uh, part, right? So I try to do my, um, my work by knowing the communication style of the person, just like I heard uh, Ms. Savage say, she's like, I'm trying to think about other people's, what they need communication-wise. So I know I can be direct with this person, but this other person, I might need to give some social time. Or with this other person, I'm going to need to share all the facts and the details. That's that C style. They love facts. They love, you know, um, accuracy. Um, so it's important um, that that you do start to understand, um, you know, the personality styles of other people, and you do that through observational thinking. Like, it, like even if you haven't taken a DISC, you know, profile, you can certainly understand that there's some people that just think task first, and there's some people that think about other people first. The problem is, is that 84% of conflict occurs at people versus task. <laughs> so as a result, when um, Tom Miller thinks about task first, and maybe uh, Ms. Savage uh, thinks about a people first, then she's always uh, judging me on my need to get results. And I'm not thinking about the people that it impacts. And that's where you know the conflict begins. And so it's really important that, um, you know, and I know this isn't exactly where Michael Hyatt was, you know, going with his one-way communication, that their thoughts match their speech. But a lot of people, they have a lack of clarity because they are this, um, they just got a lot of things, you know, going on. And the I style and the S style are very social. So they need that kind of talking out. And sometimes it takes up to seven minutes to get the good stuff out of certain people. <laughs> Right. So sometimes if you know you have a lot of social oriented people on your team, the first five minutes could be that social time to get that out of the way and then really uh, focus on. You just have to be conscious of the D and the C's that might be on your team uh, that don't get aggravated by by that time. Uh, but it's good, you know, for them to learn how to come to this side. Um, and it's also good for the I styles and the S styles to learn how to be more direct and more specific with their communication. Um, and that's where this two-way communication, that gaining clarity before you communicate is really important. Um, so whether you're doing it via email or uh, you know, sharing you know, something with your team, you know, just having you know, clarity around what do I want to communicate? Like what is it, what's the result that I wanna get based upon this communication? And then if I'm thinking about who I'm communicating to, who's in the room, it helps you shape that, you know, uh, context. Because as I've gone through years of uh, speaker training, it's not necessarily about what I want to say. It's what is, what do people need to hear, right? So if you're thinking about that from your, from your team perspective, you know, what is it that, you know, people need to hear based upon this um, communication that I'm putting out. And so gain clarity and engage your audience, okay? Engage your audience. So if it's virtual, it might be, like you'll hear me say, hey, put something in the chat box, right? Or give me an amen, or you know, give me a yes, or tell me about an experience in the chat box. I mean, whatever it may be, whether it's virtual or not, 
It's your job as the communicator to engage the people that you're communicating to. It's not their job to lean into you. You've got to, you've got to uh, uh, give them a message that they can relate to and they can understand. So I'll stop there uh, because I may or may not have been you know, clear. What questions do you have, whether it's even about the DISC communication styles or this one-way, two-way communication that Michael started part four with? What other perspectives do you have on on his on his um, his take? So I remember. Um, so I've interviewed a lot of people lately for head of school positions and finance director as an EC director. And it's interesting to me um, watching and listening to people communicate. And when I read this part about their thoughts match their speech, right? Vague and imprecise. That happens a lot. And that's, that immediately caused me to like, caused me and the transition team to, to move them aside, right? So I see I'm, you know, part of a lot of, you know, Facebook communities and groups. And I see a lot of people like, how do I best prepare for a job? And if, the, you know, if you're in those groups and you see me, I'll always answer the same way. Practice your answers out loud. <laughs> because everything sounds very good in our heads until we actually try to communicate it out. All right. So by recording yourself, um, you can use a tool like um, um, Otter. It's called Otter AI, and it'll uh, record and transcribe. Um, you could do talk to text. There's lots of ways that you can start to communicate your message out, and that'll help you at least get everything out. And then you could go back to the transcription and start to really pull out, you know, the most important things. I'll do that sometimes if I'm driving uh, to a, you know, school or a, a location. I'll I'll turn on my phone and my free uh, conference line, and I'll record myself just talking through something. And then I'll have it transcribed and then I'll be able to pull it down later and say, okay, what was the things I was really trying to communicate here? Because sometimes you just need to talk it out, right? Anybody have anybody on their team that just needs to talk it out? And you're like, are you talking to me? Give me a yes in the chat box if you get someone who, who, who just talks it out. I've had to tell someone recently, say, if you're complaining in your head, don't talk it out. <laughs> tell, me, tell me what it is. And Amanda, it's interesting to me that some people are task oriented and that just to think as I reflected on reactionary. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, because I didn't even really get to um, this one aspect. So the, the, the top of the, the part here, the D's and the I's, they're product oriented. So they're your visionary big picture thinkers, right? They're not, um, they're not very detail oriented people. That's the S's and the C's are because they focus on why and how we're going to do it. And so it was interesting when um, I think over 80% of the people who have done this DISCA profile came back S's or C's, which really made me concerned when COVID, you know, you know, basically you had to flip your entire classrooms, your schools from brick and mortar to remote without any directions. 
<laughs> right? Just a bigger picture piece. So for the D's and the I's, they probably had very little problems. But the more uh, process-oriented, right? That's the S and the C's. They're process-oriented people. You probably saw them struggle, and you may have struggled yourself because you needed to know all the details to be able to take the next step. Uh, so that's a good point, Amanda. A very, very, you know, like important aspect. Um, and that's why some, you know, people ask a lot of questions. You know, the C styles ask a lot of questions because they want to gain clarity. They really need to understand. And if B and I styles are not comfortable with questions, it can also create fracture in the relations. And that's just a maturity piece. You have to be okay with the people asking clarifying questions. So I added this in here, um, uh, this, the three key factors of communication, and it goes well beyond words. It's, so um, if you were to imagine a big a piece of pie, right, what, what, what uh, percentage of the com communication pie do you think is the biggest? Body language, tonality, or words? What do you think is the bigger piece of the commu communication pie? Body language from Vanessa. What else? Anybody have any body? All right. Good. You would be correct. Body language is the biggest. How big is the pie? What percentage of the pie do you think body language is? Could be anywhere from one to a hundred. Eighty percent. Ooh, ninety percent. Look at you two. Eighty, ninety. It's actually 55% of communication is body language. Now, what do you think is next? Do you think tone or words is the next largest piece of pie? Tone from Janice and Dr. Ben. Yep, tone, yeah. Good, tone is definitely the largest. So there's 45% left. What, what do you think of that 45% is tone? How much? What's your guess? 30, yeah, it's good. It's real close, Amanda. It's 38%. So body language is 55% of communication. Tonality is 38% of communication. So that means that over 90% of what we convey has nothing, nothing to do with the words we actually use. Nothing, it's only 7%. Words are only 7% of communication. Can anybody relate to that how 90% is tone of voice and body language? Anybody think of an example of where that really came into play? Um, I think that comes into play for me the most with my children. <laughs> I'll say something to them and I'm just trying to maybe hurry up and do something. And my son is very like empathetic and sensitive and he'll say, it sounds like you're mad at me. And I'm so like they pick up on and I think children really do pick up on that a lot. Sounds like you're mad at me. And I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm just in a rush or whatever it is. Um, so that has been brought to my attention a lot from my children, I think. Um, but also with my husband as well, sometimes it's the same thing. We think we're mad at each other just because of the tone. Yep, I appreciate that transparency and vulnerability there. Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, 
we can say the right thing in the wrong tone and it's not it's not going to connect it's going to put us in the opposite direction and this is with anybody with our kids with our teammates with our staff with you know parents and we have to be able to control and understand our emotions and one of the issues with tone is that we actually don't hear ourselves in the in the voice that we speak in right if you've ever heard your recording and they go, oh, that's not, that's not my voice. That's not what I sound like. And it is what you sound like. It's just that your own vocal cords are vibrating to the point where you don't actually hear your own tone and your own actual, um, what your voice sounds like. You were going to say something, Dr. Ben. You're on mute, Ken, if you want to share. Yeah, I'll say, I, finally, I finally got it off. I was going to start. I was going to use the word uh, congruent. That your tone and your body language should be congruent. They should match one another. You explained that there, I think. But the idea of using the word congruent, they match. They match each other. And when and when they don't, they 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 the the message is garbled in terms of what we're actually saying when those things don't match up or are not congruent. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's uh, you know your your. Your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear the words that you're saying. <laughs> I say that a lot you know, to folks. So, yeah, so it's really important that we, um, that we invite and ask questions to close that gap. And we're going to talk about that in that exercise here in a second. I added something that we teach from our master communication course, which is something I hope that you all, you know, take, take the opportunity to uh, participate in. But there's, there's six hidden components to every communication. And so this is what you think you said, what you actually said, what the other person heard, what you think the other person heard, what the other person thinks about what you said, and what you think the other person thinks about what you said. All of those things are happening like that. I mean, it's a, you know, and it's a wonder that we even, you know, get anything right because there's so much happening and so much uh, distraction. Um, so I would, I would love to hear, you know, from you on the top of page 15 of your study guide, like, did you take the time to rate yourself? So how would you, you know, how would you rate your listening ability, your active, your active listening abilities uh, in these um, seven areas that he has shares? Uh, the first one was your attention when the people are speaking. I don't know if I fixed that on your page. Your attention when people are speaking, uh, positive intent, eye contact. Suspending the inner dialogue, clarifying through questions, responding non-defensively, and allowing for questions. Where were you the best at? Where were you the best at here? What was my highest one was clarifying through questions. Who has a who has a high score here out of five? We're going to come back to Vanessa's point here in the chat too in a second. Does anybody have anything a five? Does anybody rate themselves as a five on one of these listening styles or components to listening? Well, I gave myself a, a one on responding non-defensively. This is something that I have to really, really work on. Great, Ken. Yeah, so you gave yourself a four there. So my strength, I think, is clarifying through question. My largest area for growth is responding 
non-defensively. It's uh, something that I could tell immediately uh, that my tone uh, rises um, if I'm being uh, questioned. And I think I shared last week my disc uh, profile when I get under stress, control and accuracy are my two high styles, D and C. And I have to be aware of that. You know, I have to be aware of that. And I love what uh, Vanessa put in here in the box. She said, body language can be tough lately given so many Zoom calls. And I was on a recent call in which the speaker was saying good things, but his body language gave off a completely different vibe. Absolutely. That's actually one of the lessons that we use in the uh, master class, right? It's how to, how to stand in the Zoom, how to make sure your audio works in the Zoom, how to make sure you're not doing distracting things with your hands or moving around or whatever else. And so I talk to board members a lot uh, about if you're on Zoom, like people are watching you. <laughs> so um, if you're not going to be engaged and in, you know, the box and a good, you know, profile, uh, turn your camera off. And even that's, you know, communicating too, right? So it's always important to know that uh, you are on screen and our kids are on screen, our teachers are on screen, and they have to, they have to be conscious of that. So where do you all uh, personally struggle with listening? What are, what are some of your challenges and what you know, strategies might you try to improve your listening? One of the things that I deal with a lot. Just say people talking while or you you starting to talk before the other person's finished. That's sometimes mm. that's especially if you're a D or an I. You've got all the answers. And so uh you're ready to tell them you in fact you went into the conversation on what they should do before they even speak. And so uh being sure that you don't talk before the uh, questions asked or the conversation with the other person's finished. So that's something I have difficulty with. That's, that's a good one, yeah. It's, uh, well. um, a lot of times though, it's yeah. because I wanna get it out before I forget what I was gonna say. So it's, it's not even that I, that I have all the answers, but I just don't wanna lose my train of thought sometimes, you know? Yeah. And so one of the things that I've learned through, you know, coaching training and the practices is that if I am, if I am, uh, um, if I have inner dialogue, that means I'm not listening to you, Janice. Right. And so as your coach, you'd be very upset if I wasn't listening to you. And remember that as leaders, our number one job is to coach people to better results. And that's a huge piece for me too, right? Is listening to understand, uh, suspending the inner dialogue. And I think uh, Vanessa said, uh, Brene Brown suggests voicing the story that I'm telling myself is, right? So we're trying to one up, you know, people. And the best way to create uh, connection with someone is through listening. I mean, just think how much better you feel when you felt like someone's listened to you. <laughs> <laughs> when I look at that list, um, it's interesting to me because, um, you know, I'm a counselor. And so 
when I'm counseling with a student, I feel like I'm a five and all those things because I'm very intentional when it's just myself and that student one-on-one -on -one and I'm in that mindset of I'm counseling um, because I was trained to do those things. We spend um, two weeks doing sessions in graduate school where you're not allowed to say a word for the whole 40 minutes that you're meeting with somebody other than just say, okay. And so, but I, it's hard when I'm not in that mode so if I'm talking with my family or sometimes team members, um, you know, I do have inner dialogue and it's hard to like turn it off, but I can turn it off when I, so I just need to, I need to work on translating those skills to everyone, not just in my sessions and meetings with students. Yeah. If you, if you did that, what do you think the result would be? Stephanie, what do you think would be it different? It would be really positive, I'm sure. <laughs> I feel like everyone I, you know, interacted with would um, feel heard, which is what I would want. And I would also be able to be listening more intently to understand what they were trying to communicate to me. It would be very positive. Yeah. I mean, really think about someone in your life that you really value. And you know that like they always have um, they always have uh, just great intent with you. They're usually that that listener, right? They're that level five listener. They're that active listener who's just amazing. And it's like, wow, I wish I could be that person one day. And we all could be that person. And we have been that person at some point in our lives. We've definitely been a level five listener. Um, but most of the time, you're right, we're down in level one and level two uh, listener, which is uh, passive listening. It's just noise, you know, so something to be looking out for everybody. So, uh, I think I said, uh, those who do not learn to listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. <laughs> and that's tough. That's tough. How old are your children, uh, Stephanie? Um, nine and six. Okay. Yeah. So they're, so they're getting there, right? The adolescent age is coming and all of a sudden it's totally different. It's a totally different situation. Yeah. I got eight and 13, so I'm starting to watch it. Uh, so should we move on to difficult conversations? Is everybody good with that? This is, this is what we all, all showed up for today. This is going to be the fun part. All right. So um, what makes difficult conversations difficult, according to Michael Hyatt, or yourself? What makes difficult conversations difficult? Chat box or, un or unmute yourself. What is it, Janice? What makes difficult conversations difficult? There's no wrong no, answer. I think that we um, talked about this in one of our earlier sessions as well, um, that I think difficult um, conversations can provoke anxiety in people um, and awkwardness. They don't know how to communicate. They're worried about things being misconstrued, retaliation. I mean, there's all kinds of different, um, different mm -hmm. needs we have that um, sometimes these crucial and difficult conversations can, can bring out. I mean, it's hard to yeah. use use the, the definition and the word, but really difficult conversations are difficult because they're difficult, you know? 
Yeah, because usually stakes are high, right? Yeah, I mean, right. stakes are high at something. Yep. Absolutely. And there's emotion tied to it. Yes, yes. Yeah, and Amanda put uh, the outcome and perspective, reactions and anxiety of being right or wrong. And I don't know if some of you, you know, I did a, a, a webinar on this on uh, Friday, and it was interesting to hear, you know, a lot of people's responses in regard to, I don't, I don't, I don't want someone to be upset with me, right? Or I don't want to make someone uncomfortable or, and something we have to realize is that the only reason we're having the difficult conversation is, is, you know, because something is uncomfortable, but it's usually not the person who is responsible for communicating the uncomfortness, but they're the ones who feel uncomfortable. You know, the person who has the inappropriate behavior or the person who's not meeting the expectations they're not uncomfortable normally because they don't even have the time know that they've done anything wrong. <laughs> they just, right. They're just, this is what I do. Oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. Or I didn't know that I'd make other people feel bad or you know, whatever it may be. So, you know, why is it so important that we have them in a timely manner? It's really because it always gets harder. The more time between the un executed expectation and the conversation all that time in between is like negative energy leaking energy it's you know getting worse it's in your head you're you're you know you're like you're like talking yourself through the story in a negative way and our minds are very cunning remember our minds do not know the difference between reality and imagination you know that right that's the only reason why the jaw steam comes on and we all kind of get a, right? That's why we get scared in the hallway if it's dark because your mind doesn't know. So if you have a difficult conversation that you're holding on to and you haven't had and it's in your head, it's your mind that's, you know, taking it to very, very dangerous places. When most of the time, once you have the conversation, it really wasn't that bad. It really wasn't that bad. So I love this model that he has built here for you and um, the vision gap opportunity. And so did you all get a chance? I mean, on page 16, I kind of have my own version of it, but um, uh, did you all get a chance to download his uh, resource with the vision gap opportunities? Everybody's got it, or at least you got, you know, page 16, because we're going to practice here in a second. So the vision is what I wanted to see happen, right? So the example I've been using this week as the exceptional children's director of a school was I wanted all general ed teachers to have access to student accommodations through ECATS and a physical copy. Um, and I wanted all teachers to spend some time uh, with those new teachers, making sure that they had that access, right? That was our goal up until, um, February 20, whatever Friday was, the 19th. Now, this week, when I go back and check with all the general ed teachers is where I will be able to identify the gap. The gap is what actually happened, right? The gap could be some teachers didn't have a conversation. It could be that some sent an email. It could be that, you know, some said, hey, do you got this? I mean, whatever it may be, I'll know whether or not the teacher has it because I'm either seeing it actually done in class or I have a physical conversation with the general ed teacher, 
you know, in the EC teacher to make sure that all those, you know, pieces happen. So my vision was, this is what I wanted to see happen. The gap is, here's what actually happened. Now, where Michael, where I like this, and I want to take a step back is here on, if you've got page 16 in front of you too, is I build this relationship step in here, right? And that's to understand. Help me understand. So, Janice, the expectation was that you would have had a conversation with Dr. Benton about the accommodations for, um, you know, uh, Stephanie. Uh, but according to Dr. Benton, you didn't meet with him by last Friday. Help, help me understand, right? And then you may say, oh, well, I emailed him or, you know what, it got so busy and crazy last week or, or I, I was out two days and we just didn't get to it. Okay, okay. Well, when are you going to get to it? Because it needs to be done. Can you get to it by the end of, you know, this day, Janice, right? Can you commit to five o'clock, you know, today meeting with Dr. Benton, right? Or whatever that may be, right? That's an opportunity. How, and then, you know, next time, Janice, you know, hey, it might be a good idea, um, something this big, let's make sure that we try to address it right away. So then we don't have to worry because we all know, you know, a fire's happen, and, you know, right? So it's, it's vision, gap. I like the relationship, you know, step, seek to understand because if I just tell, you know, Janice, you know, you didn't do it and you didn't do it my way and this is how you need to do it. How are you going to feel, Janice? You going to like me? Well, for sure, I would feel unheard, you know, because mm -hmm. there has, because there's not an interest or you're not listening, um, you're not actively listening to what the reason is. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Right, and that's what I need to be as an active listener at that point. It's if I'm asking a question, I need to give Janice an opportunity to tell me what happened. And I, oh my, well, I'm sorry that it happened that way. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, gosh, well, how many times do I have to do this? Well, maybe two or three, right? Because then you could say the next time, hey, Janice, now, I know we had agreed that you were gonna get it done by five. I just happened to run into uh, Dr. Benton and, and you still didn't meet him yesterday. Let's go right now, Janice. Let's go bring the, grab the stuff and let's go so we can make sure it's done. And then there's maybe a conversation between uh, Janice and I privately, right? You always praise in public, correct in private. You're never going to embarrass, you know, someone at this point, but you know, there's, there's ways to address this. And then that growth step is, hey Janice, how could I, how could I have improved my communication next time right so next time we get a better result because you don't want me you know talking to you about this and i know that you had good intentions right so how could i do a better job of making sure that i communicated effectively now this is the front end of closing the gaps this is not on the back end of an employee who's really constantly struggling and they're on a coaching plan an action plan right this is this is this is how we get there right this is Closing the gap to the action plan is first, um, one is, is making big things out of little things as soon as possible. And if you don't have clarity in your communication of what it is you want it done, it's really hard to help to hold people accountable. Because now I just assume that Janice knows that she should have done that. 
And that's not fair because Janice cannot see inside my head. They're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that's what you want. I thought you just wanted me to say, hey, Dr. Ben, you okay with the accommodations? Sweet. Rock on. I didn't know you actually wanted me to physically print one out and make sure that he had his ECATs and talk to him about each one of my kids. That's a long time. I got 23 kids. That was my expectation, but thank you for telling me that I did not communicate it well, right? Or maybe not gave you the time to. Whatever it is, if, if I don't ask for feedback, that growth step, I'm never going to be able to get better as a communicator. And Janice is always going to have that kind of like, uh, he didn't treat me very well there. Does that make sense, everybody? What are some questions that you have about this process? What do you like about it? What do you don't like about it? Tom, I like that phrase you used, um, praise in public, and what was the second part? Correct and private. Correct and private. That's that's a really good. Um, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's the same thing that we would do for our students, right? We would we would hope that our that our teachers would be using that model with you know students. So we should do it as adults to the teachers as well, or any situation. Um, and Vanessa uh, Baker wrote, I found it very helpful to write up my communication before the meeting gives me time to process and think through. Yeah, and that's what this, you know, script here is for. And, and there was one in the packet that, that should have come, you know, with your book, right? But just a way to start scripting out what is it that I, that I wanted to see happen, right? And what's the gap? Now, the other, you know, step is this, you know, before you give expectations and, and you know, communicate, you know, uh, direction, writing out what you really want done so you can communicate it well on the front end and constantly be improving that communication step. On page 15 at the bottom, I pulled um, some of Michael Hyatt's you know, thoughts here, right? So do write down your thoughts to arrive at clarity before you communicate. Don't enter a difficult conversation unprepared. What happens when you enter a difficult conversation unprepared? What does it turn into? Uh, you're, what you're trying to communicate won't come through because you're just going to be reactive to whatever comes up. It, yeah, it's just, it's just, he said, she said, right? It's, it's just hearsay. It's just, you know, chaos as Amanda wrote here in the box. Yeah, it's just, you know, and, and that's just part of the learning you know, process as well. So, um, do remain objective and focus on the facts, right? Because the facts don't lie and, and, and data leaves, you know, clues, right? Your results leave, you know, clues. And if you can keep the conversation on an objective manner, it's much easier than saying, well, you didn't do, well, this is what I heard or I think, and you just got to get really, really clear. All right. So don't resort to generalization or personal attacks. Um, like saying things like that, you know, person's always late, always late, every single time they've been late. How many times have they been right? It's not always, right? 
or, you know, so be careful because words matter, right? And that 7%, this is where words will matter. <laughs> they will take your words. And so, I'm not always late. I'm not always unprepared. Most times, right? The majority of the time. Uh, do take a deep breath and calm yourself before entering a difficult conversation. Don't react in anger, frustration, or fear. What a really, really important piece. And there's the TED Talk. I cannot think of her name, uh, but she, um, and I'm not, I've got a wall next to me, but she has, you know, like, how do you best, you know, prepare yourself for difficult conversations about opening up your chest, you know, taking a deep breath, just really getting yourself into a better state. Uh, because when we get emotional, we lose IQ points. And we all of a sudden, you know, start to really grab onto those um, subjective uh, pieces. Uh, do read from your notes during a conversation, because if you, you know, you want to make sure you get all the details out. And don't wander from, from the message that you originally went in there for. Don't, you know, go in there and, you know, talk to poor uh, Janice about, you know, the EC combinations and then start having conversations about with her 90 day timeline and, you know, like anything else. And she's like, whoa, where's all this coming from? You know, it's, it's like when, as a husband, um, and no offense to everybody, but, you know, my wife will say something to me about not, you know, taking the trash out. But then there's like a hundred things. I'm like, whoa, like why, why? It seems like you're very angry about me not taking out the trash. Like, how did we get here? And, and, and there's this list of things, right? So the more you wait and wander away, the harder the message becomes. Make sure you allow the person to express their point of view and don't become defensive. Don't become defensive. That misstep is where the learning is, right? For you as, as a leader. And um, do affirm your belief in a positive future and don't give any reason to doubt your intentions. We had talked about seeing everybody as a 10 and you know, declaring noble intent. Everybody's doing the best that they can until they continuously prove otherwise and erode that 10 down to a five or six or whatever it is. And then maybe it's just not the place for them to be. Vanessa says, yeah, my pet peeves when someone says all or many. So at the bottom of page 16, like, if I do not have this conversation, what are the consequences? Like, what happens if you don't have a conversation? Do you mean if you don't have the conversation at all? Yeah, sure. What happens? Well, then the issue is never resolved. Most likely. Right. And what else happens? It'll Things don't get, change. What else? Yeah, that's good. I think the problem will get bigger because sometimes you know about the problem, but the other person doesn't even know about it. So you're just kind of setting yourself up to get more and more upset about something and the other person doesn't even have any idea mm -hmm. that this is a problem. Yeah, so, true. Or so, worse, it, if they do, if they do know that you know, and you didn't say anything to be, now you've condoned the behavior, which is even worse, right? Now you've just made it okay to be less effective. Go ahead, Ken. Well, I think that what you're saying there and leading into that is the morale goes because other people know. You know, it's one thing about teachers mm -hmm. know people know good teachers and they know teachers that are not all following the the uh, rules are set up for the school to be successful. So we, we know who's not following the rules. And so uh, if you if you are 
don't have the fortitude to speak up and do it in the right way with people who are not helping the culture of the school, then uh, you may not need to be there. And so um, I think the idea is that uh, you can uh, just make the culture of your school just um, chaotic, if you will. I think somebody said that, but uh, just make it chaotic when people feel like you see that you are playing favorites, that you let some people get away with it because you don't have the fortitude to speak up and others who are kind of maybe weaker teachers or you see them as weaker that you're willing to talk to them. So it's a matter of leadership and uh, what you're all about when you go into leading your school. And if you're, if, and that's part of the uh, characteristics, I think, when you're a leader, you've got to be able to speak up in a good way and speak to all your teachers and uh, especially those that uh, are borderline. That's great. So without learning how to have those conversations, without feeling comfortable with, you know, discord, right, and having conversations around, you know, discord, you can't really truly have an open conversation, right? Because team meetings need conflict, healthy conflict. I mean, if we just all agree to everything that ever happened, then it's always just going to be one you know, person's way and you know, decisions are always going to be made in a silo. So it's really important, like when we think on the you know, top of page 17 about this truly open office, how would it improve your life in your school organization if everyone around was able to talk about difficult subjects clearly, openly, and defensively? I mean, imagine a world. <laughs> imagine a world where we were all comfortable with being uncomfortable with conversation and just you know challenging each other for the for the sake of a better healthier organization rather than just letting it go um right and and just <clears throat> like assuming someone else is going to address the problem what did you all think about the truly open office conversation have you ever worked in a place like that I think probably um, in my younger days when I worked in restaurants is the only time that we've really had this. And it's because it's such an informal atmosphere that everyone can really say whatever they want and they can talk about you know, politics and, and argue and still be respectful. Um, but I think that sometimes um, professionalism is confused with agreement. And it's like you said, like you can't, I'm not wow. learning if everyone agrees with me. And, you know, like I think you mentioned too, if you are only surrounding yourself with the people that do agree with you, you're not furthering your own, um, your own education. I love what you said there. Hopefully someone wrote that down. Uh, people confuse professionalism with agreement. That was, that was a profound, and that's that, uh, that's that comfortable collegiality that sometimes we have in schools, for sure. You know, it's, uh, you know, bless your heart, you work so hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I just want to get better. Someone tell me how to get better. Oh, no, you're doing just fine, darling. <laughs> just fine. Yep. When I moved down here from up north, I didn't even understand what the bless your heart was until I heard them say it to someone else, which I've heard them say that, that they didn't like that person. I was like, whoa, you guys say that about me. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's really good, Janice. And I think, so I'm really curious about your restaurant. Was it more than one restaurant or just one particular restaurant? So I worked um, from the time I was a teenager until I was in my 20s in a restaurant. Even if I had a full-time job, I would work part-time in the restaurant. Um, and I worked in, I did everything. I bartended, I was a sous chef, I waited tables. Um, so I've worked in several different restaurants yeah. and I always find it's more oh, several the, places. Is it, is it the blue collar jobs maybe where it's a little more, um, <laughs> a little more open and free um, to discuss these things because you don't have to worry about, there's not a, an HR department in a restaurant, you know? Yeah. Now I always work yeah, for private restaurants, so that could be one. <laughs> I like so Amanda brings up a good point here. She said, um, uh, I would rather have a personal email sent to me to do something than sent out to all to question if they need to do it. And I think you're saying about like, is this when is this when um the leader sends a memo across the board to the entire organization rather than just actually addressing the one or two people who really have the problem? Yeah. And if that's what it is, I mean, either or not, this is also a big issue. Leaders think that this solves the problem because they've sent, you know, memos or emails. And I say, well, the only people reading the memos or the emails are the people that you don't have to worry about it. So now you've just like upset them because now they think that they're not doing their job because they take that that really uh, uh, to heart. Um, Ken, you wanted to share something? Most open communication I ever had. We were getting ready to go through accreditation in next school year. And uh, we went on a retreat and, and uh, for about four or five days away from the school, even, even outside the county, we went to a, a retreat place uh, in, in, uh, a few miles away from town. And we spent the, uh, when I say spent the nights there, ate together and uh, spent that period of time. And so we played some games of communication type games and things. And, and, it was, and we went through accreditation, just uh, we flew through it. Uh, because everybody was open and uh, honest, I think, in terms of uh, discussing what we were doing. So that was one of the best things we ever did was it coming to as a group working together on one project. If you've ever been through accreditation, you know what a terrible thing it can be. <laughs> but it worked out real well. Yeah, that's right. And that's where, like, the power of, like, even these uh, book studies, right? We got folks from lots of different schools, from lots of different states. I mean, the more different perspectives that you bring into a conversation, you know, the better the results are going to be if, you know, people are willing to, uh, you know, be open and accept ideas. And that's what the accreditation process is about. It's all about improvement, right? It's not about the stamp at the end about what, you know, what you get. So there's some really good, you know, parts here at the, um, at the end of the book about toxic stew and and this uh, uh, unexpressed assumptions and you know gossip and and this is you know this is not just you know schools this is in most organizations have these you know challenges in these uh, pockets and so I just love what you know Hyatt like th this is good stuff to teach your beginning teachers uh, I'll never forget I mean when you think about those first days of a beginning teacher's life or just a new employee at your school's life you have these uh, pockets of influence in your school. And sometimes these uh, pockets of influence are led by the folks that you don't want to have influence. And so that new teacher comes in right to the cafeteria and they're just kind of looking for a place to sit. And that individual who dresses the part and looks the part 
come on over here, darling. We've got a seat right here for you, right? They brought, they brought them right in. And I love um, this next year book study we're going to do, Todd uh, Whitaker. He talks specifically about ensuring that you separate your more challenging people from those beginning teachers. And that happened, you know, to me, I wish I would have read Todd's you know, book 12, uh, 13 years ago, because one of our brand new teachers came in and they, they got brought right in to the to the um to the more you know challenging um balkanized fragmented group of 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 uh, teachers that I had and a very uh, small staff so there's you know part about how to communicate proactively right don't join in on the negative conversation challenge negativity on the spot right getting reality communicate you know directly when there's you know when there's an issue and uh, model gratitude and take prompt action. I mean, right there should be the the guideline for any brand new teacher because they don't know what they don't know. They're 22 years old, 23 for the you know they come right into this environment with only student teaching as their experience, and their student teaching was you know probably under someone who's a pretty effective teacher and communicator. They don't know what the whole you know culture of a school is, but it doesn't take long for uh, negative influencers to create more toxic stew. <laughs> so, I mean, it'd be interesting to take this part with your staff, right, and have them start to give examples of toxic stew, and you could create, you know, case studies about things that have happened in your school, and really get to a values conversation about how are we going to communicate proactively? How are our values going to combat toxic stew? Um, in Patrick Lencioni's Six Questions to Clarity, the first question is, why do we exist? And the second question is, how do we behave? And that's all about values. So I see this whole you know, page here in the truly open office through the toxic stew, creating a picture of trust, what that would look like. What a great activity for your school improvement team, uh, your core values team to take everybody through so we can get really clear on what do we, if our school was operating at an optimum level, where everybody, everybody around us was able to talk about difficult subjects clearly, openly, and defensively. What would that look like? And you could paint the word, that picture, right? The trust word picture of what that would look like. And every, every time that someone acts in this you know, toxic stew, I go, oh, whoa, whoa, you know, we had agreed that we wouldn't join in on negative conversations, right? We had agreed that we wouldn't spread gossip. We had agreed that we would go directly to the source. And you're not doing that, right? You use that vision gap opportunity framework to start closing the gap on your culture. Does that make sense? But if you don't paint the picture of what a positive vision and culture would look like and feel like, it's really hard to have the vision gap opportunity conversation because now it's just my opinion of what trust looks like compared to what we had agreed that a trusting community school culture will look like and feel like. What are your thoughts on that? Can, can we do that? You think that's possible? Give me a yes in the chat box if you think that's possible. So if you don't have clear core values, defined out, defined core values, that's where I would start. 
right? I would take these questions and start to be like, okay, what does a what does a school based upon trust and values look like? And you could just start with small round table conversations to kind of change your world conversation. It just starts with five or six, you know, people at a round table first, talking about values, what it would look like. And then those six could go lead six other tables, right? Or two of those folks could leave. So that's, you know, three other tables, whatever. So that you had, you had six people talking about values. Now you got 18 people talking about values. And you just continue it to go. And then you say, hey, here's what we've all have agreed to are the five or six core values that we're all going to live by at this school. And when somebody doesn't do it, everybody needs to hold each other accountable for just pointing it out. And uh, maybe some of you have done like a school culture contract. Has anybody ever done that? I've done a few of those at some schools, right? But now, they're only as good as the behavior and the follow-up, right? I can write all sorts of words down on paper, <laughs> but if I don't hold, if we don't hold each other accountable to the school culture contract, it's just that, it's just words on paper. Janice, you said you guys had one? Do you guys have one at Socrates? So we don't, we actually have one um, with the parents. And one of the things I was gonna say, even before you started talking about the contract is, there is something about writing something down on a piece of paper and having someone sign it that really makes them feel like they need to follow it. And I think that these types of contracts don't even have to be, I think they benefit from being less formal. And then it's like we talked about in one of the, one of the earlier uh, workshop sessions, showing them the benefit. So I'm not saying that I'm not going to gossip. I'm saying that I'm going to treat myself respectfully and treat other people the same. And one of the ways I do that is by not gossiping. And then the selling point that you're selling to the person is that they're being respectful to themselves. And, but you're also communicating that gossip is not, I'm just using gossip as an example, that it's not an effective tool yeah. for, for communicate, communicating complaints or, um, you know, other things. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, that's exactly how it starts, right? And yeah, it's words on paper, but now when you do something, I can come back to the words on paper and say, oh no, you, you know, you signed this too. Like this is, right? And, you know, and um, you could do that if you want, you just can't do it here. You gotta do it at a different school because here we adhere to these values. This is what we all committed to do because we're trying to create this amazing culture where, you know, people feel safe and it's, you know, it's a trusting environment where we can have open conversations about different challenges and what we're trying to achieve. Because otherwise we're just kind of doing stuff, right? We're just kind of living, living in, in a, in a, um, in not harmonious way. Which leads to the last part of the book, right, is, is about how to apologize, learning how to apologize. This is a skill. I mean, it really is. To do it right is a, is a practice, you know, skill. And the only way that I feel that you can apologize effectively is by having um, to be authentic about it, right? And, uh, and I just love this, you know, you know free part. Uh, confront calmly and objectively, own your failure, and just agree to move forward. And as a recovering addict, you know, I had to do this for a long time, and I still find myself apologizing for lots of things. And um, I just love this note. This is why I, this is probably more for me than anybody. A sincere apology is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and a mark of good leadership. 
And so I feel like with the school that I just have been working with for the last eight months, like I probably apologize 10 times a week. And someone just said, an apology isn't needed here. It was just a miscommunication. I was like, but it is, right? It is because I want you to know that it's not how I wanted it to be. It's, and, and so um, it's interesting how challenging saying you're sorry can be for some people. And I don't know where that comes from, but that's a good place to start, right? Like when I think about my eight-year-old son, he has a hard time saying he's sorry. And if you all, you know, most of us have kids here, right? And like, sorry, right? They just, they just do it in that tone. You're like, ah, but then I forced them to do it. So we can't force someone to apologize either. So I'm really curious, what's a good strategy that maybe anybody has used? Like, how do you, how do you teach someone to be sincere in an apology? This is something that I've worked pretty hard with my kids on as well. Um, and I don't think you can teach another person how to be sincere in an apology. I think they have to want to do that. It's like you can make a child apologize, but you can't make them mean it. You know, and this is the same. You can make me apologize, but you can't make me mean it. So I have to internally want to find that growth and to move forward through something that I'm uncomfortable with and and know that that's growing humility within myself when I do that. I totally agree with that. Goes that goes back to those values. That's correct. I feel the same way. You can't make, you can make them apologize. You can't make them mean it. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with everything Janice just said. Yep. Thanks, Lena. Yeah, the, one of the great exercises, it's called, a, it's not in the, the works here, but it's feeling, behavior, and impact, right? So you may have someone who's not willing to apologize or has an insincere, insincere apology, but by using that, uh, here's how you made me feel when you did X, and as a result, Y, right? So this by helping bring awareness to how you know people's words or actions or whatever make you feel um, in a concrete way, that's one way that I have you know found because I found difficult people don't always realize how much of an impact they have on the school culture, and so when I can tell somebody when you you know called that person a name or when you um, when you raised your voice, I mean, whatever it may be, um, this is how it made me feel. And I can't speak for everybody else, but the impact is that if you don't make a change, they're not going to respect you, right? Or they're not going to show up on time or whatever it may be that may be the impact. Um, but that's, that's one way to teach uh, is, to, is to do that. And never, ever, ever follow up an apology with an excuse. So I'm sorry I'm late, but traffic was bad. I'm sorry I wasn't here on time, but the meeting ran late, right? Well, you're not really sorry because you just gave me an excuse of why it was, <laughs> you know? And so that's, all these things I think are really great culture building. And when I think about this book, yes, it was a book on communication, but it also, the subtitle of the book is 13 Workplace Communication Problems and How to Fix Them. If you fix these communication problems, guess what else you're going to fix? 
What's going to improve? You think culture will improve? You think uh, people's behavior will improve, right? And when culture improves, uh, the morale is higher. You know, people are, yeah, the relationships are better. You know, there's so many things when you fix these uh, pieces. So, you know, he, he wrote this as a communication book, but I see it as, a, as an improving culture book. You could take this book, right, with your team. You already have the study guide for it, right? And you could, you know, uh, you know, some of you are all on the same team. I think a lot of almost all of like Socrates, you know, team participated in this, in this book study. And there's lots of there's lots of ways, right, to to use this and improve. So make sure that you really think about how you're going to improve your apologizing. And and so you know, good intentions was to buy the book and to and to read it was the intentional action. And you know, good intentions was to sign up for the study. But the intentional action was to actually come to the sessions and use the study guide. And um, so, you know, what's going to be your, your next steps? So at the bottom of page 18, I gave you some opportunities. You know, we have a, a, a communication skills master course. Um, that's it's a recorded lessons that you can learn on your own time about how to be an effective communicator, how to connect with people. Um, so you can go to the, the link that's on here that, um, it's 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 normally nineteen ninety nine, but if you put the coupon code in fifty, I think it's nine dollars and ninety nine cents. It's another twelve hours of uh, communication training. And then the other opportunity is is if you want to get your DISC a personality profile. If you've never done DISC, um, it's great. It's a great tool. Uh, it's changed my life because it has taught me how to be a better me, so I can be a better um, uh, we. <laughs> you know, for everybody. And, and um, such a, a critical tool, but it'll help you, uh, one, understanding your personality style, your uh, communication style, your working conditions, your strengths in leadership, so you can start making better decisions um, and, and, and leading yourself better, but also leading other people better. So there's a, there's a coupon in here for um, uh, $97 is what the total would be to get your disc and your coaching sessions. And I'll, I'll do three one-hour sessions with you one-on-one -on -one to help you improve your uh, communication uh, style. So we can role play some uh, difficult conversations or whatever um, you would want to work on uh, to, to be clear with your communication. So those are just some opportunities coming out of this book study that I would love to invite you in. Uh, if not, it's okay. Uh, I loved having you all and um, on these uh, sessions. And, you know, thank you to you eight or nine that hung in there all four weeks and uh and are uh, still on here past your dinner time so i want you to get to dinner time if you're on the east coast and get some family time so thanks everybody um if you haven't signed up for the next uh, book study and you want to uh we start next monday with what great principles do differently and uh, you can find out that information uh, on our on our webpage at lbleaders.com thanks everybody have a blessed week appreciate you all thank you thank you, thank you.